home security cameras meant to keep you safe, but now reports that hackers are breaking into them terrifying families. The Internet of Things is great, but can it exist alongside security safeguards and a security conscious mindset? What makes IoT security tricky is that many manufacturers rush to add low cost, easy to use devices without much regard for security. Last year, we predicted on the critical lowdown that 2023 would be the year of IoT security. The raft of new legislation and standards has proven this to be the case. So to help you navigate this, we assembled an expert panel to discuss what it all means for you in a two-part series. This is the critical lowdown. For the past decade, manufacturers have been rushing to fulfill the promise of the Internet of Things. The deployment of 5G, which enabled smartphones and smartwatches, has led the way for smart fridges, smart vacuums, smart pacemakers, smart security, and a whole host of connected consumer products. By the end of 2022, there, there were an estimated 7 billion IoT devices in the world, each one packed with software. This exponential growth has presented opportunities to malign actors to exploit potential weaknesses for criminal gains. According to Microsoft's 2022 Digital Defense Report, IoT devices are the key entry point for many attacks. In December 2022, the CEO of Zurich Insurance, Mario Greco, said that cyber attacks could pose a larger threat to insurers than systemic issues like pandemics and climate change, and as a result, could become uninsurable. 2022 is seen by many experts as the inflection point for IoT security, and governments have, have begun to protect individuals, businesses, and key infrastructure. So last year on the critical lowdown, we predicted that 2023 would be the year of IoT security, and so it has proved. In the UK, the PSTI Act has passed into law. The EU Cyber Resilience Act is progressing in Brussels and the US IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act of 2020 has been bolstered by new cybersecurity measures in the 2022 Appropriations Bill. The legislation is tightening and the consequences are getting even more significant. To navigate this complex ecosystem of threats and new legislation, we have assembled some of the industry's foremost experts for this panel. We have Hayden Povey from IAR Systems, who has previously been a guest on the Critical Lowdown. We have John Moore from the IoT Security Foundation, Stella Orr from our partners NXP, and Todd Bake from Future Electronics. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, so my, my name is Malcolm Hello. Kitchen. I'm the Field Applications Engineer for EPS Global. Um, I support all EPS Global's uh, secure trust provision activities. So let's go around the panel and let everyone introduce themselves and their organizations. Hayden, would you like to start, please? Yes, thank you, Malcolm. Um, yes, my name is Hayden Povey. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for IAR Systems, IAR being uh, probably the largest uh, commercial development tools vendor for embedded systems globally. Um, we are best known for our compiler technologies, but we also have a broad range of security technologies helping engineers and organizations support their first forays into 
securing products. Um, previously, uh, I was at Arm. I owned all of the uh, te security technologies at Arm, from things like Trust Zone down to SecureCore. And I've worked with John, who you'll talk to in a second, for a very long time as a founder member and board member of the IoT Security Foundation. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Hayden. Yeah, over to you, John. Thanks. Uh, and thanks to EPS Global for inviting me. I feel it's a great honour to be here amongst such prominent guests. So I hope I don't let the team down. Um, but um, <laughs> here I am, John Moore, the Managing Director of the IoT Security Foundation. And I usually start by saying, you know, making a confession, I'm, I am an expired embedded systems engineer. Um, <laughs> so what that means is, um, back in the 80s, I learned my craft. I started practicing back in the 80s, moved into the 90s practicing, and then I became a founder of a fabulous semiconductor company, so chip company. That didn't end too well. Unfortunately, we were hit with uh, funding challenges. But what happened at that point is that I went back to school. Um, I'd actually sat on the board of a U.S. Uh, industry association called the Fabulous Semiconductor Association, which then became the, the Global Semiconductor Alliance. Um, and during that time, uh, uh, the, the UK's National Microelectronics Institute found me and said, hey, we understand you know a bit about the UK's design industry and you've also got some association um experience um so we want to do some things will you come and help us so that's what i did uh i went to work with them for about 10 years but the important thing there is that um my shift my, my, my focus shifted from looking at uh, kind of corporate business um interests to then looking at industry-wide problems by the time we got to 2015 the chairman of the national microelectronics institute came to me and asked me to take a look at iot security uh, because this was a growing threat it was a great concern um, now as somebody who had no background in cyber security i wondered why me and what's the issue and isn't iot a, a small part of a, a bigger iot uh, sorry a cyber security challenge um took me about a week looking at it to realize, my goodness, uh, it's not a small problem, it's a huge problem. And we then went on and had a summit. Uh, at the summit, we asked, are we done now or does more need to be done? Uh, the vote, because we put voting cards out that came back, said we need to do something more. And at that point, we created yeah. the IoT Security Foundation, which was really bringing the community together to really look at raising awareness and addressing these emerging threats. So that's where we are today. The IoT Security Foundation is a membership organization. It's not not for profit. And we're here really to help make it safe to connect. Brilliant. Thanks, John. Yeah, I think the IoT SF is going to play a big part in this uh, moving the security forward. So, yeah, thanks for that introduction. Stella, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Stella O. I am a software product manager in NXP, our Secure Connect Edge business line. So my focus is on security solutions for our customer. So uh, I have uh, the payment industry background uh, with some uh, MCU security uh, background. And uh, NXP is a global semiconductor company uh, with a portfolio of products uh, that includes uh, high performance, low power consumption, and more important is uh, it has security uh, inside our MCU and processor for IoT and industrial applications. 
Great stuff. Thank you, Stella. Um, and I know NXP have been into security for a long time, so it's, it's great to have your experience on board. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, over to you, Todd. Absolutely. Thanks, Malcolm. So Todd Baker, I'm Corporate Vice President of Worldwide Engineering for Future Electronics. Uh, Future is one of the world's largest semiconductor uh, distributors uh, in the world, um, and we take a lot of pride in bringing a value and engineering expertise into the customer base, working with customers in the market that are doing designs and embedded systems um, and bringing the leading technologies from our partners like NXP um, and helping them to you know, get those designed in, work them through any issues, and also be looking at the next generation of what's going to be required in the technology. Uh, one of those things that we've been talking about a lot internally and trying to really impress on the market for the last probably five or six years has been this growing need for security. Um, and so it's been something that we've had a heavy focus on and, and realization that our customer base needs to start securing their systems. Um, and, and as we'll talk about, I think a little bit, you know, we've, we've seen mixed reactions to that, um, where some customers definitely feel, man, it's yeah. got to be done. They've got that sense of urgency and others have kind of put it off a little bit. Um, and I think we're going to see a shift and I'm anxious for this conversation to talk about that inflection point, like you mentioned, that I think we're living in today. Yeah, absolutely, Todd. Yeah, some very good points made there. Yeah, and, and it's great to have a, a, such a large distributor on board to, to help bring all this together, because I think I think that's how we're going to solve this problem is, you know, looking at it together and putting all the different pieces together, because it can look quite com complex when you look at one specific element of it. Good question. So, so, so thanks, Todd. So, so John, uh, I suppose a good jump off would be good to talk about the legislation and the specifics around that, and and in in specifically how the IOTSF played a role in some of this legislation. Yeah, uh, thanks for the opportunity again. Yeah. I mean, if I go back to where we started, which was September 23rd, 2015, one of the things we started looking at back then was, could we have this notion of creating some sort of product label, security label to help the market uh, determine you know, which products had security and which didn't. Um, we looked at that, but we realized actually um, it's what goes underneath the label that's more important. So. Um, what we started to do is raise awareness of it, look at various aspects. And we started working with the UK government probably around, actually right at that time, but the most significant part was around 2018, um, when there was one particular market which we were all really concerned about, and that was the consumer market. Uh, the consumer market, especially where governments are concerned, because governments have a uh, fiduciary responsibility to protect their citizens, especially in, in consumer legislation. So what we started talking about is what can we do for consumers? Consumers. And back in 2018, um, there was a lot of work done to create what's now, you know, the consumer uh, code of practice for IoT security. That then led into a piece of work which was in Europe in the standards organization, harmonized standards organization called Etsy. So that started moving forwards. The requirements were being looked at. Um, we were looking at the pathway in actual fact, how do we how do we move those requirements and get them to a point where they can be regulated? But what we also did um, alongside that is we started to monitor the market itself. So one particular piece of the requirements, which are now the requirements and something which is what we consider to be a hygiene aspect, and that is vulnerability disclosure. And this was news to me as part of my journey and being an embedded systems engineer you know we never really had to uh, think about 
connected products when I used to do embedded systems. But there's a real key aspect to this is once you start connecting things up, you suddenly you massively expand your attack surface. And one of the things you need to do is you need to keep that security up to date over its operating life. And one of the ways you do that is you allow a channel uh, for people to report um, uh, security vulnerabilities. So we were we were working up the requirements, but we were also looking what was going on in the market. And what we found, um, we started to do some desk-based research, and we published some reports starting in 2018. And we looked just at that one little, what that one piece. And what we found the first time we did that, less than 10% of companies that had products on the market had a vulnerability disclosure reporting mechanism. And for us, this was quite a canary in the coal mine. Uh, because that meant you know, 90%. And by the way, this was a, an international cohort. It was uh, about 330 companies, so less than less than 10%. So this really sets up the requirement, the justification for for regulation, because there was clearly a market failure, especially uh, amongst a, I, I guess, a, a, you know, a, the, the, those consumers who didn't know about security, didn't know what to ask for. Yeah. So this then started us on the pathway towards regulation. I'm delighted to yeah. say that on December the 6th, 2020, uh, the, the regulation uh, reached royal assent. But the, the way the regulation's done, it's done in, in two parts. There's, there's a kind of a framework legislation which sets up the uh, powers for the Secretary of State, uh, what the Secretary of State needs to do, but also um, who the regulation applies to. And that applies to three significant groups, manufacturers, importers, and distributors of connected products. Now, sure. the bit that we've all been waiting for, and I'm delighted to say since we had our, you know, our initial call to, to warm up for this uh, webinar, um, we've reached another milestone because on April the 29th, that's a key day, April 29th, um, that's when we found out that the regulation, the secondary um, part of the regulation, which defines the specifics of the legislation, um, will come into force. So the clock started ticking on April the 29th, 2023, wow. for one year. So I can tell you right now and your listeners that on April 29th, 2024, it will be a legal requirement to satisfy those minimum requirements. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. Thanks for that explanation, John. And, and yeah, it's re really interesting to hear that that clock's actually started ticking now. But very important. So, so Hayden, um, if I could ask you three questions, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fire three at you straight away here. Uh, so, what what are the real world consequences of firstly not securing your connected device? Um, secondly, not adhering to this new legislation, and thirdly, what's the balance of corporate and consumer risk? Um, good questions, and and thank you, John, for for the preamble into this because I think in in part John's answered uh, some of those areas. The reality about not securing your connected device is, of course, like not locking your front door on your house. You are welcoming in all sorts of bad things, and we all know that the generic internet is, you know, hosting a whole range of malware. And we do see this attacking IoT. The real challenge with that, of course, is that 
with IoT, with these other connected devices, we're operating in the cyber physical world. So things physically go wrong. A great example of that is the colonial pipeline attack over in the US, where it shut down major oil pipelines for a very long time. We have seen test firing of cyber weapons. We're all aware of cyber warfare, which is starting to occur already. And we're only in the foothills of where we could see this. The, the next war will likely be fought in cyberspace, but the consequences of that will be felt in the physical world in attacks on critical infrastructure, water, um, and sewage works uh, in uh, how people commute, whether it's train, whether it's car, um, in homes with smart meters. All of these different facets, unfortunately, are subject to attack. Uh, we know, for example, a lot of smart meter functionality is not switched on right now because the consequences of a failure of malware being injected would be catastrophic. You could make a whole country go dark if, if you really had such an advanced persistent threat. So the reality is we have to assume the bad guys, the bad actors have practically infinite resources. They are often state sponsored. And we know that they will be able to purchase devices. We know they'll be able to reverse engineer them. So if there is any flaw in your device, the reality is bad guys will be able to find it. And this is obviously very much on the agenda of governments around the world, the EU, the US, um, uh, really everywhere. So what could go wrong? And the answer is unfortunately a lot. Um, but we also have to think slightly broader than that. It's very easy to think very negatively uh, about these areas. But, and you know, so we need to stop inhibit malware. But we also know with a lot of connected devices and with a lot of the value that people have today, the, you know, IP theft is rife. Uh, counterfeiting, cloning, overproduction is a challenge. We know governments are very focused on securing supply chains. We've seen that, you know, very uh, easily on how a, a lot of silicon infrastructure has been inhibited by, to being shipped to China. Um, but similarly, every organization needs to be thinking around their supply chain. The final answer of this, and actually to come back to the legislation, the real challenge is life cycle. None of the devices that we ship today is in its final state because we know they'll all be compromised. And a key part of the legislation is now going to be how do we manage the life cycle of those devices? How do we get past compromises? How do we update? How do we patch not just computers, which we're all used to, but internet connected kettles? or doors or doorbells or all of these little things which don't necessarily have a big user interface. All of them are compromisable. All of them will have compromises. It's the nature of software. And so we have to do the right things to engender that. And we'll, we'll come back to that later on. But, you know, 
We have to adhere to the legislation, as John was saying. There are the three pieces to this uh, around identity, around life cycle management, and around uh, feed in and feed out of compromises and vulnerabilities. These are very simple things to say. They're far more complex to implement at scale across not just a product range, but product ranges yeah. uh, across an organization. The balance of risk is an interesting one uh, because of this. You know, there are a lot of challenges for consumers, you know, when they buy a connected doorbell. Are they thinking about how that gets updated? Probably not. But they are going to be impacted by it. However, from a corporate risk, you have to think about how your end users, how your consumers, and perhaps even how your customers' consumers are going to be able to, to manage these devices uh, long term. So there's a lot of pain, unfortunately, coming on to corporations. This legislation, as John said, is ticking. We have 12 months, uh, or just short of that. That really means that you have to impact devices in production today, because it will take 12 months to roll out that type of framework. Um, and you know, there are some positives in this as well. When we look at what are the big existential risks to many cor corporations, it is IP theft. More and more companies, whether you're manufacturing a car or a vacuum cleaner or whatever, the real value is not the physical thing. It is the software running that. And if you lose control of that, you're out of the game. So being able to think about protecting your customers, but also protecting yourself is really important. And so it kind of comes back more to a 50-50 in terms of where that, that balance of risk lies. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks, Aidan. And and just to, just as both uh, yourself and John were talking there, what 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 became apparent to me is that there's a progression to this. You know, we we've got the new legislation in force. Um, I think it's really important that people understand that there is there is a pro progression. You know, you can't launch in at the highest level of security um, when when it, if it's the first time you've implemented security. There is this. We've got this year now where the clock's ticking, where we, we've got a year to to support customers to help them fix it. But it's not necessarily jump in with all security. Um, you know, let's just get get started and and start that start progressing into a more secure world. I think is just something mm -hmm. I noted there. Yeah. So, so Todd, Todd, over. Before we move on, can I just add? Oh, sorry, John. Yeah. Yeah. Just something. Yeah. I mean, this is all about journey, as far as I'm concerned. I, you know, I disclosed yeah. up front yeah. that I had no background in security before 2015. So this has all been about. This has been a learning journey for me, and I think many others yeah. will be following that. So if I can just Absolutely. interject a few bits of wisdom at this point to help some of those who are just starting or try, you know, wondering what to do. Uh, the first thing is, and I think you make a good point. The the assumption is that security is absolute. I.e., it's you know. Know, you have to be absolutely watertight. Now, th that's uh, what you really. One of the talks that we had in our first summit was was by the then CTO of Arm, and he said he said, you know, uh, you have to accept the ugly truth. The ugly truth is that you will be hacked. You will get hacked. 
And that, if you acknowledge that up front, that's, that's a good place to start. So do your best up front. Um, but then you need to make sure that you can fix things, as Hayden was saying about the life cycle. So yeah. do security by design, security by default, security first. Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, John. Yeah. And I think, Todd, that, that leads on to what the next question I had for you about, about you know, how, how does that tell with your experience talking to customers? And do you see reluctance in engineers, uh, dis, it, you know, despite this guidance from companies uh, like NXP and the warnings here we're getting from IAR and the IOTSF, you know, do you see this reluctance? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been an interesting ride um, as far as that goes, you know, again, over the last, uh, you know, half decade or so that we've really been pushing security and, and talking to customers about security. Yeah, I think, you know, again, if you're a tier one company, if, if you're one of the big companies that's doing, you know, tens of millions of products a year, security for a while, it hasn't been an option. It's been something that those companies that have those big names, whether you're a big tier one automotive manufacturer or a consumer goods manufacturer making computers or phones or whatever, they're absolutely all in on security. That's not an issue whatsoever. Who we tend to work with as a distributor um, are the customers that are doing you know, a million pieces a year, a few hundred thousand pieces a year. And that's where we have in fact seen a little bit of reluctance from those customers um you know they've been interested they've wanted to have the conversation uh, but as soon as it comes down to uh, well it's going to cost you an extra amount of time to actually get through your design cycle it's going to cost you a little bit more in having some key storage so we're going to have to add an extra 25 cents 40 cents to your bomb costs at that point they start to get a little bit nervous and back away a little bit. And it's been interesting because it's gone in cycles. The conversation over the last few years has been, you know, kind of crazy. I think it was around 2017, 2018 here in, in the United States. Uh, there was a uh, we have a program called 60 Minutes um, and they did a, a special on a vehicle, an SUV vehicle, which was as it was driving down the highway. It had IoT uh, implemented. It had cellular connectivity, and a hacker, a white hat hacker, thank God, uh, was able to get into the system and actually impact the brake system as the car was driving. Um, and all of a sudden, everybody, whoa, 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 whoa! We got to have security. Um, and so. The, the conversations from our customers started to get very, very loud. And then they were like, ah, you know, but it's complex. Uh, I don't know if my, I'm not really doing a, a driving system. My, if somebody gets hacked in my system, it's not that dangerous. And it kind of slowed down again. A few years later, we saw, and I think this is something that Hayden kind of alluded to. And what we've seen is we saw hacks, um, you know, in, in a, a, I think a, a, um, a control system for a fish tank in a casino. Uh, where that was, you know, that was our, our type of a customer, a customer that just does probably wow. 50,000 units a year that got hacked. The hackers were able to get into the casino system and hack into the casino's records. Uh, then we saw it at a major home uh, home goods store here in the United States where a, a hack occurred in a thermostat that allowed the hacker to get into the financial records uh, of everyone that was shopping in that particular store. All of a sudden, wow. boom, everybody wants to talk about it again. So it's been that yeah. kind of a ride that we've really seen amongst our customers where when it gets loud, when something really gets a lot of press and, and, and people start to then think about their own system, then they wanna really talk about it and have that concern. But, but as John alluded to, 
the the reality absolutely is there is no such thing. I don't care if you're the 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 the, the NSA or whomever you are. There's no such thing, and there never will be such a thing as an unhackable system. Um, it, there's always going to be yeah. some way to hack the system. It's a matter of what cost are you willing to put in place in order to get to that. And that's where I'm very happy to see we're seeing engineers being willing to, to spend that money. We're seeing the owners of companies, the marketing teams of companies being willing to put that investment in to make it happen. I, I think the reluctance has come on things like hackers are kind of mystical, magical beasts. We don't really know, even as engineers, um, the majority of us as embedded designers, we don't really understand what these hackers are really capable of. Um, and so from that standpoint, it kind of paralyzes us like a deer in headlights where we're just not sure exactly what to do. Uh, and, and there's some, I think for some engineers, as I speak to them, there's almost a, a, an element of, um, you know, security and not doing anything. Because if you go to your boss and say, I've designed this system, I put security measures into the system, and then that mystical, magical beast of a hacker gets past your security, you look pretty bad. If you say, uh, I didn't want to spend the time because I knew you had a, a strong bomb cost, so we didn't spend the time on security. And then you get hacked. Oh, it's somebody else's fault. So, so it's those kinds of things that do I think happen mentally in electrical engineers. Not a good thing, uh, you know. But it's something that, that I think we've got to be aware of. I, I, and I think you know, again, the second part being a willingness to pay for it, and 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 also a willingness to learn how to design it. Um, and as we are building more tools, as companies like NXP and others are making that portion more cost effective uh, for customers that are designing those systems, also building better tools that make it much, much easier um, in order to, to actually do those designs, I think we're going to see a lot of good things happen there. Uh, but, but I think yeah. we're still in a situation where, um, you know, a lot of these companies that are doing these designs there is going to have to be that legislation, legislative influence um, that's going to require them to move that direction as opposed to them just doing it purely from altruistic reasons, right? Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you, Todd. So, so yeah, so that, that leads me into nicely, how do we fix these problems? Um, and, and I think NXP are pivotal in that, um, given their security background. So Stella, how does NXP help customers on preparing their products for this uh, new cybersecurity legislation? Yeah, so NXP, we have um, many years of experience on designing security products uh, for our customers. So uh, I agree with uh, John mentioned about uh, our customer, they need to um, uh, design I mean, to put security on, on the first place, uh, to think about it uh, during their design cycle. So um, the EU uh, legislation, it lists out many uh, essential cybersecurity requirements. But right now, it doesn't tell you how to fulfill this requirement. For example, uh, one requirement mentioned that uh, you need to protect your uh, products from an authorized access, but how? And Another requirement mentioned that uh, protecting the integrity of shared data against manip manipulation and modification, but how? Uh, we understand that meeting these uh, legislation requirements become uh, a challenge uh, for many of our customers. Uh, therefore, uh, NXP, we provide uh, the key building boards for our customer uh, to meet this kind of challenge uh, to build robust and secure products. Uh, this includes uh, some 
advanced uh, security feature uh, for meeting the industrial standard. For example, in our MCU, uh, we have uh, secure boot and secure software updates. So these are mandatory uh, requirements for IoT product according to the legislation, uh, because uh, when there's a vulnerability, uh, we want to have uh, some solution uh, in the products to uh, patch uh, the software um, so that the, the old software is not no longer running. And also we need to maintain the root of trust of the product, especially we are talking about uh, the software. We want to uh, ensure that uh, the software running on the device uh, is from a trusted source and it is not modified, being modified by somebody else uh, before it executes. So uh, this kind of um, protection can be achieved by uh, our on-chip uh, secure bootloader uh, in our MCU. And also uh, on, in our MCU, actually, we have uh, many uh, security features. Uh, they are up to standard. Uh, for example, uh, some of our MCU, they already got the peace certification on some security standard, uh, such as PSA or CSIP, uh, which can also be applied to the EU legislation to protect uh, a device from physical and also logical attacks. And uh, these are kind of uh, MCU security enable MCU uh, help our customer on saving uh, major effort on uh, implementing the security protection. I, I know that it is not an easy part for our customer, uh, but we are able to help. We provide yeah. a lot of uh, security security feature for our customer. They can make use of them. Yeah, that, that's brilliant, Stella. Thank you. And uh, yeah, you know, when we think about uh, security in our day-to-day -day lives, you know, it, it relies on face identification. It relies on your fingerprint. So if you're using a semiconductor that's not got the ability to have a fingerprint inserted into it, uh, you know, it, life isn't going to be secure. So you know, th those advanced features that NXP are implementing are crucial. Absolutely. covered various technologies and terms on this podcast. To our listeners, don't forget that all of the information you heard today is available on our website at epsglobal.com forward slash podcast. Until next time.